Well, th- hey, thanks for that, uh, that slam dunk that you threw down on me there a, a month or so ago. I mean, does anybody, like, look at a sunset, like, on a beautiful day? What is that cat doing? Uh, Jim is doing that swooshy thing again. I already gave him a little bit of shit. Am I allowed to say shit? I gave him a little bit of shit. Welcome to episode 48. I'm pretty sure it's 48. 48 or 47, somewhere in that middle-aged range of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam C. McKinnon, joined as often by my co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim. Hey, hey, hey. I think it's more like season one, year two. Yeah. Episode one, year two, whatever it is. We could get complicated with this if we want. We just took two weeks off. I mean, we could consider that to be like the end of last year. We did. We we skipped the whole World Series thing and all that. It's yeah, we completely delegitimized our our clout. Uh, So uh, but we're we're gaining it back because today, Jim, today. The, the master, (laughs) we do the master of defensive ceremonies, Mark Simon of sports info solutions returns to the show. Mark, thank you so much for coming back and seeing us. Uh, hello. Thank you for having me. I promise not to swear on your podcast. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, long time no speak. Last time we spoke seven and a half months ago. Yeah. It was a different world. It feels like nothing's happened since then. Right. It was simpler times, Mark. It was simpler times. We can reflect on it like old, like world when they played world series during the day. And you know, it was, there was no TV cameras to mess everything up. Tony LaRusso was an active manager last time we spoke. (laughs) Oh wait, he is now. Damn it. I I failed. All right. So, Mark, you are here today to talk with Jim and I about the year in defense. You know, we can, you know, in such a bizarre year of baseball, one thing that really... I'm a I'm such a sucker for for defensive stats and and, and just glove first players in general. And I just kind of wanted to kind of lay it on you right away. You know, looking back at this on this shortened season, universal DH, 60 games, um, everything that the, the geographical divisions. How would you summarize the year in Major League Baseball defense? I think that the best way to do that would be to look at the key play uh, that led to the Dodgers winning the World Series, which is game seven of the NLCS in a one-run game where Mookie Betts makes a catch uh, going over the fence to take a home run away from Freddie Freeman. You had uh, essentially MVP candidate versus MVP candidate, mano a mano, uh, not a batter pitcher scenario, but a batter fielder scenario, and the fielder won. Uh, And Mookie Betts uh, made the catch the Dodgers, who were an excellent defensive team throughout the season, second in the majors in defensive runs saved. They win the World Series. I believe it was that they're the, the uh, second team in the last five years. It was either first or second in defensive runs saved to win the World Series, uh, which is uh, certainly a, a, a good thing for defense statistically. Uh, you saw Babbitt go down a little bit this year. It got a little harder for some guys to get base hits. Shifts were up. Um yeah, I, but I think when you look back on it, you're going to remember 
a, a series of plays. You're going to remember the plays that the Rays made to get them to the World Series, and then you're going to remember the play that Mookie Betts made that essentially uh, put the Dodgers on track to win the World Series. We uh, just had to dive right into the, uh, the the Braves slander, like not even five minutes in. It's cool. It's cool. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be a professional here. Um, it, it's true. It, you so and it wasn't just that play either. It was it was getting Marcel, you know, the the tag and then uh, excuse me, the catch in yep. right field and getting Marcel Ozuna at the plate. It was, yep. it was like there goes that man again in in right field, and it was oof, it was tough. And the, the he was one of the best defensive players in baseball during the season. Set the tone for that pretty early. He's been the best defensive player in baseball, arguably. I mean, if you go by defensive war, maybe it's not him, but by defensive run save, just totality, uh, he's the best the last five years. And I think uh, you're going to see on his Hall of Fame plaque, uh, eventually his defense will be highlighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it should be. Good grief, man. I got, he, he's all all out, right? I mean, he's, he's not only is he damn good at everything that he does, he's just, he's 100% while he's doing it too. There's nothing short of the best hustle in that guy, right? Drove me nuts in a Red Sox uniform. I like him <laughs> so much better in Dodger blue. Yeah, oh. says says the man says the guy who didn't have to face him in the NLCS. God, yeah, um, nightmare. That guy's crazy. So, so would you say that you know when we when we kind of when we kind of look back at this at thirty thousand feet, you know, how much is the is the shortened all of the stipulations that I mentioned earlier? How much is the, of that is going to play into how we look at this in hindsight? You know, all the shortened season, the DH, all those types of things. In terms of the sport as a whole, uh, I think you got to take a lot of the stats with with a grain of salt. Look mm-hmm. at some of the batting averages that you saw this year. You had all these guys that were sub 200, that were low 200s, excellent offensive players, two guys that are going to be trade targets uh, this offseason. Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor, their batting averages came down big time. Everyone's still able to hit for power, as we've seen. Uh, but the ability to get a base hit uh, seems to be much more of a challenge for for some people these days. Um, in terms of defensive stats, it is hard to get a real read on 60 games. I think it, it's unfair to judge someone who, you know, who was a zero or a one run saved over 60 games. That's you know that, that's perfectly fine. I think at the extremes, you can make some uh, some judgments, and that's where you get into the guys that were some of the best guys in the game and some of the guys that struggle the most defensively. Did you, you know, you kind of touched on something just a second ago, and I, and I wonder the uh, lack of balls in play and how hard it is to get a base hit. Well, you know, we've been talking so much about, you know, pitching velocity and the three true outcomes and the way batters are approaching at the plate and, you know, the shift and everything like that. Is improved defense overall, like, possibly an untalked, not under-talked about factor in this sort of... Uh, all or nothing approach. Like they're just going to catch it anyway. I'm just going to hit it over the wall. I think it's a positioning thing uh, Mm -hmm. combined with the talent too, uh, because teams are so sophisticated in how they can play the percentages to put their guys in in just the right spots. And you saw it, uh, especially, I think you saw it with like Joey Wendell, uh, in throughout the the uh, postseason, uh, where it seemed like it didn't matter uh, if a ball was hit 100 miles an hour or 50 <laughs> miles an hour at him, he was always in the spot where the ball was hit. Like he he barely had to move, and that's why he was able to make uh, some and he made some very nice plays 
I think defensive positioning is a big deal. You see the rise in shifts, but also you see a lot of outfielders now playing uh, guys to hit the ball in the opposite field because that's what they do a lot. And you'll see that center fielder sliding over to left center field. Uh, Luis Robert uh, is an example of that. Um, I, I think that positioning is is the thing to talk about. And I think it gets its fair share of attention now because every play-by-play guy brings up when the guy pulls the card out of his pocket and uh, mm-hmm. looks for where he's got to move to next. It's like a gotcha moment on the broad, like John Smoltz. Yes. He's like, ah, I see, <laughs> I see you over there, Mookie Betts. Yeah, yeah, like, and, and with like defensive analytics, right? With fielding analytics versus like <clears throat> hitting uh, and pitching analytics, right? We had the Blake Snell thing happen in, in Game Six of the World Series, right? Now you got to push back against, hey, you you can't script it before it happens, type of stuff, right? So you you, you hear people saying, okay, pitching is going too far here. We need a balance. We hear hitting and everything else. But the only gripe we ever hear about fielding is usually because it suppresses offense, right? Nobody ever argues that the defensive <laughs> analytics isn't working. It, it's obviously working, right? It's it's lowering batting averages. Um, so with everything that happened with Blake Snell, is there anything that, that, that defensive analytics has to defend while everybody else is arguing how much, you know, they shouldn't have taken Snell out? No, I, I think defensive analytics uh, comes out of all of this looking pretty good. I think it has to defend itself against the potential banning of the shift, um, which I think is uh, the the more you the more that Rob Manfred talks about it, the more worried you would get uh, about something like that. Uh, and I think it's uh, I think it's a possibility. I think a lot of teams would. I would have to change uh, the way that they played. I had someone, um, a San Francisco talk show host, said to me the other day, uh, what about the idea of, and this struck me as somewhat interesting, what about the idea of you have to play four guys on the dirt and three guys on the grass? Um, uh, And that way you could still shift guys. You could take your shortstop and you could slide them over, but you couldn't, put the second baseman or shortstop or third baseman or whoever in that slot area in short right field. Uh, And that that way a a hard hit ball would still get through. And how much would that uh, impact things and and reduce the temptation to go all or nothing? I I could see that 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 struck me as a compromise kind of scenario that maybe they might think to go to. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of something like that overall. I think you play guys where the balls are going to be hit uh, and you you let players figure it out and hit the ball the other way, which is going to probably take 20 years to get straightened out. Um, it is baseball. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it is. It is baseball. I, uh, my, my biggest thing from the postseason was that the length of games was interminable yeah, and to yeah. add an extra layer of uh, an extra round and that in particular, nothing against these teams, but that White Sox A's last two games was like, yeah, pull it, your hair out. It was a work week. It, yeah. it, it, was, it was it was an, an, an exasperating thing to watch slash listen to. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that to me is a greater concern than is the team or teams shifting too much. Yeah, it's it becomes less about, you know, the the tactical and more about the practical. And yeah, yeah, it's let let me make fun of college football being a four hour game. I can't do that anymore. (laughs) 
know, four hours. <laughs> right, right. And like the 50 million sponsors and all of that. Yes. It's, Commercials it, in mid inning. Yeah. And, and hey. yeah, a, yeah. A pivotal moment. Now a quick word from, you know, AT&T. Like, do we... And they almost got burned. They almost got burned by that once. And I don't remember which game it was, but they almost, uh, that I was, I had said when, the first time I saw that, I said, they're going to get burned at some point and it's going to really infuriate <laughs> like Twitter. It'll, it'll cause like a Twitter uproar. Right. And they came really close and they didn't. They got back in time. Uh, but I have a feeling that, that in future years, that's going to be a problem. Yes, I don't I don't disagree. But and uh, yeah, so, OK, so that's a pretty solid look at, at the year past. And, you know, one of the things that kind of that kind of materialized from that is the 2020 feeling Bible awards, uh, which, uh, you know, we all, I always look for with anticipation and, you know, we, we've, you know, in your previous uh, appearance here, we talked about how, what goes into that, you know, we, you know, and, and if uh, I encourage listeners, if you don't know what goes into the fielding Bible awards, go back and listen to our episode with Mark Simon, uh, from seven and a half months ago, the it's an evergreen episode. So it still plays. Um, and, but, uh, but this year, you know, one of the things, the 2020 awards, they had a lot of familiar names, you know, Mookie Betts, Matt Olson, Colton Wong, things like that. But it, it also kind of, there were some names that kind of, they kind of struck me. I was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, Kike Hernandez, Tyler O'Neill, Max Freed. Uh, can you kind of talk about, you know, those for the first timers, what made them kind of stand out in that regard? Sure. Um, let's start with Kike Hernandez, and that will allow me to explain something with the way that our awards work. We have an award for each position, and it's one award in total, not one for each league, one in total. And then we do what the gold gloves don't do. We do a multi-position award. And there's a certain eligibility requirement for it. You can't have played more than 70% of your games at any one position. Um, and Kike Hernandez won the multi-position award because he played everywhere he had 22 starts at second base he had nine runs saved at second base when he was there he was great and the video backed that up the eye test definitely worked for him uh he his specialty was making throws from particularly awkward angles because he was very quick he would play a very deep second base uh he would play shallow right field frequently in shifts and he would get to balls where you would say he has no business getting to that and then make throws from these really strange places to get outs he also mm -hmm. made three starts in right field three in center two in left two at short and then played seven innings at first base to boot mm -hmm. so he was all over the place uh, i voted him number it's funny i voted him number one at second base and I didn't vote for him <laughs> at multi-position um i felt like he he didn't he didn't necessarily stand out at any of the other spots. He was just kind of, it, it was a case of the best, uh, one of my colleagues uses this phrase, the best uh, ability is availability. He was yeah. able to play all these different spots. I thought he played a great second base. The problem was he only played 22 games there. Right. So you can question the deservingness of that. So he, he was very solid uh, wherever you put him. It just didn't necessarily show up in the uh, statistics. All right, from there, I'm going to move to Tyler O'Neill, and I will speak bluntly on this um and honestly i don't feel like i got enough of a feel for him mm -hmm. uh i did vote him highly i think i voted him number one there because his defensive run save total was three or four runs higher than anybody else and left field has gotten notorious the last couple of years for stick your most mediocre guy there right or it's a great offensive guy there who can't 
catch the ball. Uh, and there are a number of teams with that. Brett Gardner. I spent a season. Down. I spent a season watching Marcelo Zuna in left field. I assure right, you, now, that's what's happening. Now, in fairness, he's not as bad as you think. Um, but uh, I can understand from the eye <laughs> test why you would say something like that and with premature, you know, jumps at the fence and, and all that sort of thing. <laughs> so Tyler O'Neill uh, got the award in left field. I, I don't want to say by default because he did make a fair share of good plays. I actually watched, I, I wrote this in the description for him that his top three plays were on ball sliced down the left field line by left-handed hitters that he was able to get to because his, uh, card i suppose had put him in a spot where he could get to the ball so he was able mm-hmm. to make these nice running catches uh it would have been interesting if alex gordon had got it in his final uh season he's won four times before uh you could make a case that he's reasonably deserving uh but he, he it wasn't close in terms of statistically um and then max freed and i think max freed's really cool because I, I got a chance to watch him uh, and i watched a number of his plays because I wound up writing an article after he made a great play against the Mets. Uh, and it was remarkably similar to a play that had been made by Dallas Keuchel against the Mets. Uh, and I thought that that was kind of cool. And then I went and looked and I saw that he had a couple of plays like that this year. It's 12 starts. He doesn't get that many chances. I don't know. Um, but the thing that completed the, I guess the thing for us was that he had four pickoffs, which tied Tyler Anderson of the Giants for the major league lead. So that put him above everybody else in defensive runs saved. Granke had won the last two. He didn't win this year. Uh, Max Fried, I think the thing that I was impressed with, and I, I think I would say this similar about like Marcus Stroman, very athletic and able to really hop off the mound and make that play on the ball. It's hit down the third base line, get to it, turn and make the play. Um, and those are, I think, two of the more fun pitchers uh, to watch defensively. So uh, those are your first timers, right? We didn't leave anybody out. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, we didn't. Okay, we're good. I like I like the I like the Stroman comp too because they're you know Freed is a ground you know a ground ball pitcher by nature. Uh, Stroman is a ground ball pitcher by design. Uh, you know, they're both, uh, they're guys who need to come off the mound, you know, just like Keuchel, just like Maddox in his day. Like they were guys who could, who could move off the mound and mobility in, in pitching is so underrated, you know, these days, I think. So, um, you know, Jim, did that, did any of those first timers surprise you? Mm, you know, for me, yeah, it's like Tyler O'Neill, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's left field, right? I mean, it's uh, it's not really known for anything. Um, <laughs> well, I hang mean, on. Brett, Matt, Brett Matt, pretty good. Let, uh, let yeah, me. Brett, I'll, I'll give you good, but they keep sliding them over to center because Hicks is always missing time, right? And, right. Uh, it would have been no better a, if Brian Reynolds had won. He came in second. You would have said the same thing, right? Right. Brian it still would have been a shock, right? It's just, yeah, Michael it's just, Brantley was third. Um, let's see. Bill James voted him number one. Uh, Shogo okay. Akiyama was four, Alex Gordon was five, and then you go Adam Duval, Eddie Oof. Rosario, Brett Gardner, Jerickson Profar, David Peralta, who had won it in the past, uh, and then a bunch of guys uh, at the very bottom. But is, uh, is Baez the only one that's ever won the multi position and a regular position? Um, let's well, no, because uh, Cody, so Cody Bellinger last year won right field and the multi position award. Um, oh, yeah. Now that may sound strange, right? But he also played, he played center field and he played first base. We've got a, a debate 
going discussion, civil discussion going, I would say, <laughs> uh, among our, our voting group about the idea of should a multi-position guy be a, a guy who played left and right or center and right? Does You're that right. count? And I think um, I think I voted for three guys that were infielders, and then I voted for two that were outfielders. My ballot was uh, David Fletcher, one, Joey mm. Wendell, two, Tommy Edmond, three, Alex Verdugo, four. And then I think because I had been maybe exposed to him more uh, than probably most people uh, among our voting group. I watch a lot of the San Francisco Giants. Mike Yastrzemski, I gave him a fifth place vote because I thought he did a good job shuffling between uh, center and right this year uh, for the for the Giants. Sure. Now, you know, in that group, you know, your ba- the ballots that go into this are, are very complex, very complex by necessity. They're very well thought out. Um, or were there any players in your mind that were really helped by the, the short season? And were there any that you thought that were really hurt by it? Like in the sense of uh, the probability of winning the award? Yeah, that that's a fair question. Um, I think that the short season probably helped, let's say, um, I think, Joey Gallo would be one. He wound up coming in second. I saw that. I saw Joey Gallo at the top of like the zone runs on baseball reference. I was like, that's got it. No, no. He, he, uh, he fared very well with throwing, uh, and he caught what he was supposed to catch this year. I think over a full season that maybe Jason Hayward, uh, would be someone who could have surpassed him. Max Kepler is another person that could have, uh, surpassed him. You could potentially make a argument that a Bryce Harper uh, could surpass him. So that's a guy that I think was helped, even though he didn't necessarily win. Um, in terms of who was hurt by a short season, that's a harder one. I think, like, it's funny. I didn't think Olsen and Wong would win because they weren't the defensive run save leaders, but they both did. Uh, Wong won by a point over Kike. Uh, Olsen won fairly easily. Um, who was helped by a short season? That yeah, Mookie Betts, right? He just got, <laughs> <laughs> just got creamed. No, fairly no, lucky. I, but do you think that... I, the- I, so I, I'll give you one. I would have been curious to see if Ramon Laureano had been able to maintain uh, what he did in 60 games for 162 games. I think that would have been uh, interesting because he had a lot of trouble in 2019 catching balls that were hit to the warning track. There's a a good piece of video that you could probably put together of four or five balls that he really struggled to play, whether they were off the wall or balls that were, you know, that he got close to and didn't catch. Uh, I, he wound up coming fifth in our voting. uh, And I would be curious if that would have, um, lasted over 162 games. It's a good question that the A's will have to answer moving forward. It, it'd be 162 minus whatever the hell they gave him for that suspension. <laughs> uh, trying to take on the Astros. Oh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 150 yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. Whatever that was. <laughs> I, I've always yeah. kind of wondered. I've always kind of wondered about that. Like you know, with the with the elite, you know, like what who does the short sample size help and hurt? And I wonder if like. If you feel like somebody who's not who lives in that world, like just under elite, like, you know, they kind of make the plays they're supposed to. They're not going to wow anybody, but they accumulate the defensive run saved as opposed to like somebody who, uh, you know, is, you know, the elite, the cream always rise to the top. 
But is it, do you think that is it possible that a short season without enough accumulation of the sample size could hurt that next tier down? So uh, I'll give you one, and it, it's impacted by injury, certainly. But Andrelton mm. Simmons for us wound up with negative two runs saved, which is bizarre. And then yeah. I, I wound up, I actually watched, I'm, I'm writing something about free agency, and I watched uh, his the eight plays that killed him. And there were like six plays that I said, well, the good Andrelton Simmons makes that play. Most guys probably don't, but the good Andrelton Simmons does make that play. And I can remember, I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago. I know it was when I started working for the company at some point that he was at a number, whatever it was, one run saved, two runs saved, like 50 games into the season. And then he went on a 30 game run where he racked up like a dozen. And I would like to think that if the season had been 162 and if Andrelton Simmons had gotten healthy, that somewhere in there he would have racked up a dozen and put himself in contention for the award. Um, but yeah, so that that's where I think I would I would go with that. Okay. Um, I mean, 162 games of you know you know Fletcher and then get you know Rendon and Trout. I mean, the Angels are a different team altogether, right? With 162. If they had pitching. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's true too. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, pitching in that division where it would have led you to, right. I mean, 60 games through got, you know, the Astros into the, into the postseason with a losing record. Right. So yep. yeah, I, I don't know. It would have been nice to see a full season of uh, Andrelton, but yeah. Well, we talk, we talk a lot about guys like Andrelton and we talk a lot about, you know, like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, guys like that. Um, is there, give me, give me one veteran that you think we're not paying enough attention to their defensive game. Like it's better than we think it is. And give me one prospect slash rookie that is worth looking out for in the future. But I'm going to give one caveat to this for the, for the second uh-huh. one. Okay. Uh-huh. You can't say Cabrian Hayes. Oh, <laughs> I knew fair. it. I knew not it. Fair. I knew it. I was going to be too easy. Oh man. <laughs> um, all right. Prospect. If, if we can include. So the, the guys, the rookies this year that were particularly good were Evan White, uh, at first base for the Mariners, who was this great throw scooper who showed really good range too, who's probably going to win some hardware over the course of his career, and Luis Robert. Um, Luis Robert um, wound up coming up uh, third among center fielders uh, in defensive runs saved. He, uh, I think he benefited by, in some cases, with our, our system is a little tricky for outfielders in that it doesn't necessarily... Uh, it doesn't account for positioning, uh, whereas our infielder system does. It's going to change, I think, over time. Um, but I think those two guys are guys to look for going forward. I think uh, Cabrian Hayes is going to be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, we had him on our, uh, our company podcast, uh, and he, he was a great guest. He told a story about right. how when he was little, uh, you got you had the drill that he learned was you got to hit the first baseman in the S in the, with the Superman logo. You got to hit him in the chest with your throws. Mm-hmm. And that's how he became a good thrower. Also, Josh yeah. Fuentes of the Rockies, who's supposedly going to be a very good defensive third baseman, transitioned to first base and looked very good for the Rockies in a, a short spell. So, okay, so that's three guys that are prospectish. And then you wanted a veteran player whose defense we don't talk enough about. Right. 
Uh, doesn't have to be elite. Just somebody that like so someone listening to this podcast and and Jim, I, I we have a pretty edgy, we we have a pretty heady listener base uh, here, right? Like, so oh like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I I, ta- I talked to yeah I talked to him last week and yeah we got a great <laughs> yeah exactly we've got a we've got a real edgy somebody that like it doesn't have to be elite but just somebody <laughs> that like hey next time you watch like pay attention to this yeah. dude because he's doing some stuff that you may not appreciate. See, if we had done this and the Rays had lost game seven, Joey Wendell's like the perfect guy to pick for something like this because I think he's very, very good um, at third or second. Really, second's his his, his spot. Uh, he played third in the postseason. He played third this season because they have a second baseman. Um, so I can't pick him, which really kind of stinks. Um, catchers. I'm looking at catchers. I don't seen him enough to say but like jacob stallings now two years in a row has put up very good numbers uh on the defensive side but they're going to be bad and bad probably for a while everyone knows who the good shortstops are defensively like our top five were bias swanson story correa lindor nick ahmed was six people love tatis he's seven i'm basically stalling here trying to come up with well it, it was and, and well can, was well let me give you some side t- banter here is swanson really that good i i feel like he's kind of all over the map with how good he is like like is he really that good that's a good point, and, and it's interesting because Tim Kirkton, uh said during the postseason that Dansby Swanson was the player for whom his level of respect had increased the most during the playoffs. Because, And he thought that it was like a lot of the little things, that he always was in the right spot for certain things, and he handled uh, cutoffs really well and relay throws really well. Uh, he is not – I don't think he is as good as Story – uh, when it comes to the really, really, really good play, uh, I think Trevor's story is, is about as good as it gets there with Baez uh, in terms of the really, really, really good play. I think Swanson is a notch below. I voted him fourth in the Fielding Bible Awards. I agreed with you that the like the fielding by the, the defensive run save may have had him up by a, a run or two, but um, um, I would say he I would say he has evolved into the very good uh category maybe your your bias of being a braves fan uh has gotten slightly in the way i'm still struggling and i can't find a guy that that will satisfy that first part of the question darn it how Um, about how about like a g-man Choi? we all know he can do the splits yeah he doesn't have range though he 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 gets the balls you know i had an improved defensive season and i brought this up at about five different points but the the I don't want to say the commoner baseball fan, but the the, <laughs> the peasants fan might not realize Jose Abreu uh, seemed to be more um, nimble um, this year in mm-hmm. terms of getting to balls. Uh, I, and I watched a lot for this because I wound up doing a, uh, an article about the White Sox and how improved they were defensively. And the difference in him, like going to his right to field a ground ball, and I had numbers that went with it, uh, that he was significantly better at getting outs on that ball. It was hit in the first base, second base hole. Um, and I, I think maybe someone like that, he's, he's getting old, but it seemed like he held off uh, decline for 60 games. He's someone for whom 60 games certainly helped uh, because he was an unbelievable hitter. He could win the AL MVP and he was, he was very good. He was, he, he wound up finishing fifth in our uh, fielding Bible, which 
if you had said before the year started, where's he going to finish? He would have finished 20th. Uh, so right. fifth is a jump for him. So let's say I'm going to whimper into Jose Abreu. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I mean, honestly, there's a, I feel like there's a lot of, players that you know i could fire off names at you like all all the time like all night in terms of like guys that i feel like are are i can't figure out if they're better or worse right than i think they are my issue is that i'm so immersed in this stuff that i I think (laughs) that every i think that everybody knows that isaiah kiner falefa is really good uh, well, no, mm-hmm. not everybody knows that Isaiah Kanye-Falef is really good because the Rangers were terrible this year, <laughs> yeah. and he played third base, and who paid attention to him, uh, even though he hit pretty well, too. People know Gio Rochelle is good, but they don't know that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa uh, is good. People don't know that Tyler O'Neill is good. Now they do because he won a fielding by the way. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So do you feel, uh, you know, I, I, it kind of leads me to, you know, uh, something that's kind of been on my noodle a little bit. You know, you've got an ice cold free agency season coming up. I mean, this is going to be like 2017, 2016 level bad, except there's no Bryce Harper and Manny Machado to distract us. Like, like, you know, Trevor Bauer and George Springer come save us. But the, the thing that kind of, you know, jumps out at me is that when you have such a cold market like this, Glove first guys always have kind of an uphill battle, you know what I mean? Trying to find roster spots and, you know, in that type of thing. So how do you, you know, you look at guys like Colton Wong, who was non-tendered, you know, how do you take a player like that? And I'll use Colton Wong as sort of a template here. And he's got some name brand recognition, so maybe that'll help. But like guys that could very well get non-tendered, like Ender and Ciarte, guys that, that do well in the enough of the field that they've had this roster spot or they, you know, a few years ago, they would have a job. How how do you, my impression is that this makes it a lot harder for them. Is there anything to say otherwise? No, I I think it's going to be a a lot harder for the glove guys that, that couldn't hit. They're going to be the guys that are going to be waiting till the very end and taking the real small contracts. Um, I think Colton can hit a little bit. So I think that will help him. He's not, I don't think he's going to get 12 million or, or whatever it was. I think it was uh, 10 and a half was, or something like that. Yeah. He was, he, he was on, uh, in position to get, if they had picked up the option, I, this is going to really be a rough market. Like I would think that if he got, I don't want to say half, um, I, you know what it's going to depend on? There are like four teams probably that are spenders. And if there's a spender out there that, that wants him, Colton can hit. He hit 285 uh, a year ago. He hit 285 in 2017. So he's probably going to get his something close to it. But the the other guys that are in that glove first um, mode, I think, um, yeah, I think they're in for a very rough uh, off season. I, 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 I don't really want to, I'm a little <laughs> worried about where things are going to go this off season because the, uh, well, here, I guess the thing is that like the Mets are going to spend and they're going to spend probably not necessarily obscenely, but they're going to spend heavy at the top. Um, and maybe the, the Giants showed that they'll put up $18 million for Kevin Gossman. So maybe they'll be out there uh, spending money. That is a uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, weird. The The Dodgers, the Yankees, 
But it, again, it's going to be four or five teams. It's not going to be uh, the Braves turn to look. Uh, the Braves took Darren O'Day and his three and a half million dollar option and sent him goodbying. Um, which is kind of depressing <laughs> considering that he had a one, one ERA in 16 you know, innings with 22 strikeouts that he's been reliable for them uh, over time uh, that he's been reliable for everybody over time. It's all weirds. Like it's going to, it's going to just be uh, ugly in a lot of places. I think Jim, did you, were you looking at anybody like that? Any sort of glove first guys that might have a hard time out there that I didn't think of? I mean, to me, I'm the thing that that keeps drawing me for this offseason is still Francisco Lindor, right? I, I mean, I think even with how dry this market is and everything else, it just only increases his value and of somebody if he's willing to sign a long term contract. But um, I don't know. I don't think of Lindor as uh, great defensively, though. Uh, so defensively that's that's hanging out there my boy my boy brett gardner is one that all, all comes to mind i mean uh feels kind of like what they did with them was that two two years ago now where they basically said now nah, we're not going to pick up your option hey come back and, and let's talk about a smaller price for t- two more years and then uh oh we're not picking up your option now again let's, <laughs> let's come back and talk about the price again I, it feels like he's coming back he really does but I mean, the guy, the guy can play D, right? I mean, he feels like the kind of person that if, he, if the Yankees don't bring him back, he just ends up in Kansas City. But, no, I, I think he's going to Philly if he, if he doesn't uh, go to the Yankees. Yeah, hang out with old Joe and the gang, exactly. right? Yeah. I can I, see I that. I think he's looking at, like, he made 10 mil last year. I would, like, this is not my expertise. He's one guy that I'll make a peg on. I think he's going to get five. Like, that, that's, that's so where this like. is headed. He's also like 37. So yeah, he'll be 50. He'll be 50 and signing two year deals. He's going to be like, you're like Trevor Bauer, (laughs) you know, signing one year deals. Brett Gardner's going to sign two year deals till he's Jamie Moyer's age. (laughs) Colton made 10 last year and was in line for a two and a change million dollar raise. I think he's going to be fortunate to get like two for 20 or something like that. I think it's going to be a struggle. You think that much? I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I I think because he has a track record, I think that, and he's not 33. I think he can get something. I don't know where this is all going to go. Yeah, like there he needs to. There needs to be a team that's willing to to pay that. And I don't know. Again, I don't know. There's going to be more than like four of those. Speaking of weird free agent situations and from the Cardinals. Um, you know, Yadi Molina has been pretty outspoken about his, um, um, well, he's been outspoken about a lot of things, some reasonable, some not. Um, <laughs> I'd like to know what you, where do you, what do you see for Yadi at this point? Is, is he signing a legacy contract with the Cardinals? Is he going to pick up somewhere else? I mean, I, he's obviously too good to just abandon, but he's also like, I, I'm not buying that he's a productive hitter. He, you know, you don't want to be the team that signs him and he loses the one step that he has. So, so what do you see for Yachty? I, I don't think, I, I would hope that common sense prevails and he doesn't go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I don't, I feel it would be an awkward ending to his career for him to be on another team. And it would be really unfortunate. Um, there, there's gotta be a, um, a reasonable, figure he still deters the stolen base he's not a great he's not an elite 
Framer. He's he's good. He's he's a he is now a elite stopper of stolen bases, which don't happen very much anymore, and a good guy at everything else. And there are guys that are a little better than that. There's no shame, Yadi, in being <laughs> like the fifth best defensive catcher in baseball. Yeah, it's it's okay. There was no conspiracy. It was all statistics. <laughs> they all got smushed together. And that's the numbers come where the numbers come. I would hope that that they figure out a way to, you know, and they say to him, look, you're you're a right now you're a five million dollar guy. You'll be there to pass the torch on to the next guy. And let's let's make your ending here a happy one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I mean, somebody like Molina, right? Uh, It's part of the baseball family. It's just his legacy is is he's a Molina right so and on top of it he's a cardinal and I just I mean I some at some point it feels like baseball needs to have that love story and it needs to it needs to stay right it's it's and somebody like Molina whatever it takes to get him to stay in a cardinal's uniform right it seems like it's worth it to me yeah. I just, I just, I don't know. I expand the roster for St. Louis just so they can have one extra person just sit <laughs> on the bench all year. I don't care, but just don't take him out of that uniform. It just, it, it yeah. I, I think there's more gas in the tank. Uh, I think what he can bring to a team uh, for value, not just behind the dish, but as somebody that, uh, yeah, builds the next catcher up in the system. I think anybody team will any any team should be happy to have them. So I think there's a market for somebody like that out there. Sure. I just yeah, I just hope that St. Louis doesn't let it get that far. I hope to figure out a way to, to make it work. And I'm not a Cardinals fan by no means. No, I I assure you I'm not, but not even a Yachty fan as a person, but I'll tell you this much, yeah. like he's one of those indisputable like his resume speaks for itself from a defensive standpoint. So, so Mark, I, you know, um, I, I got one more question and I'm going to put you on the spot and then, and then you can plug w- whatever you want. Um, that's the trade-off here. Uh, d- does Yachty get a plaque in Cooperstown? So, all right, this is a really good debate and I feel that it's best served for when he's actually on the belt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my wimp way of answering it. I would lean yes. Um, and I'm looking forward to, um, this is the humble brag portion of the show, that eventually <laughs> I get a ballot. Uh, that, that will happen. Uh, and I look forward to the discussion on him because I think he's one of the more interesting ones because he right now is an average offensive catcher, but he's an off-the-charts defensive catcher. And is off-the-charts defensive catcher good enough in this era to to essentially Ozzie Smith your way into the Hall of Fame with the fact that much like Ozzie, he has the iconic moment, the game seven home run uh, to put his team into the World Series. He also has two top five MVP finishes um, for when he was in the prime of his career and was a good offensive player. And there was a period of time where he was about a 40 year stretch where he was really good. Um, I would lean yes on him and I would probably have to be talked out of him more than talked into him. Sure. All right. Uh, that, that seemed to help a case for somebody like a uh, Jorge Posada who was one and done. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a specialist at one position, right? Like, you know, if you sacrifice the bat and say, okay, if we're just getting this guy in defensively, I mean, 
We shouldn't almost feel the same way about Posada, right? Just I the, think the I think that instead. there are other catchers that you would put in ahead of Posada. There might be other Yankee catchers like Thurman Munson that mm-hmm. you would put in uh, ahead of Posada. I'm looking at the Jaws system now. He's 18th, and he is his peak is about Hall of Fame peak. His career though did not stretch. He'll be an interesting one yep. in the kind of like the Ted Simmons vein where you're looking back on it like 20, 30 years from now and Derek Jeter's on the Veterans Committee with Bernie Williams and they're <laughs> like, hey, you know, Jorge Posada, not in the Hall of Fame yet. Let's get him in. Right. Because yeah, I think that, that by the time Jorge Posada is a serious person in that conversation, right, is 20 years from now. And yes. 20 years from now, we've had the debate with Yadier Molina by that point. We've had the argument. He's already in or out by that point. Yep. So I think, I think he... He does affect it, right? That's a good point. That's a good point, Jim, because it's a guy, it's kind of like how I feel about Lou Whitaker. Like we're not, we're not even talking about him. So in a weird way that we didn't, he didn't even make it, you know, or like Frank Tanana, you know, like guys who like just like vanished immediately. It's almost like in a weird way down the road, it it gives them some kind of traction. It's like, we're not tired of talking about him. Although so, that didn't help either of those players, but so let me plug something while while you told me I could plug something. Yes, <laughs> the, the Bill James. So the Bill James Handbook twenty twenty the twenty twenty one Bill James Handbook is out. We've put out like thirty of these. Someone tweeted at us their bookshelf, which had twenty seven of them. Yeah, which I, I saw that. That was kind of <laughs> freaky. Um, one of the essays in the book is an essay by Bill called Hall of Famers by Team. And what he did was he charted every team in Major League history and how many Hall of Famers they had on it. Uh, from 1900 to 2014. He didn't count managers. Uh, he counted uh, essentially players. And he looked at which franchises and franchises within certain time periods were overrepresented with Hall of Famers or underrepresented with Hall of Famers. And one of the big underrepresented ones was actually those 70s Yankees teams because uh, they won a World Series in 77 and 78. They got to the World Series in 76. They they got to the ALCS in 1980, and they won the World Series in 1981. And yet with that, Willie Randolph, Greg Nettles, Thurman Munson, Ron Guidry, not in the Hall of Fame, whereas there are other franchises that have situations where guys like that are in uh, the Hall of Fame. The others that were cited as underrepresented were the mid-60s Twins, which I guess is that 65 team with Jim Cott uh, as the ace, and the late 60s Tigers, and I guess there you think of the 68 team that won the World Series, overrepresented the one that's, I guess, pertinent to what people would know now, like those late 70s Expos and Padres teams uh, that didn't necessarily win anything, uh, but had a considerable number of Hall of Famers on their roster. If you think about like the likes of uh, Dave Winfield, Willie McCovey on the Padres, mm-hmm. uh, and with the Expos, uh, the idea that Gary Carter and Andre Dawson were all those t- on, on all those teams and didn't win anything. Uh, in those years, mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a interesting essay. It's one of two really interesting essays that Bill wrote. He also invented uh, a game score for batters to go with his game score for pitchers. Um, it, he explains how it works. You can you can read about it and uh, figure it out. And he gives you like the guys that had the the most super games. He, he came up <laughs> with the term super game. Um, I thought that that was one of the more interesting things in the book. And then the book's got projections for 2021. It's got essays. I think I wrote 17 essays. My colleagues 
combines probably right about 30, uh, 30 something essays. Um, Wait, you wrote, you, you wrote 17 of them. Yeah. They're, they're short though. They're like a, a they're like 500 words. You're like the Alexander yeah. Hamilton of the, uh, of the of Bill James handbook this year. <laughs> I, I know it sounds pathetic that I kept track of, of the number that I wrote. Uh, but I, I wrote it. So I wrote about things like I wrote, I wrote the fielding Bible, uh, award stuff. I wrote an essay about the weirdness of the season. I wrote, uh, we did obituaries for the first time, uh, for the, the hall of famers, uh, that, that died uh, this season. Uh, I wrote about the impact of rule changes. Um, I wrote about a number of other things. We have all these different things. We have sections on hard hit balls and pitcher repertoires and stolen base attempt times and hits lost in game to the shift and how the shift is doing and things of that sort. There's a lot of fun stuff in this book that'll keep you occupied. It's a good book to take into the bathroom, open to a random page and learn something. Dude, it sounds like yeah, a fun one to write. Actosports.com. <laughs> it's fun. You got We got to do a lot in a little bit of time, though. We do. We do it all within like two weeks. Good this lord. From from when the regular season ends, the book is due uh, two weeks later. So everyone oh, is uh, working. It's it's the one time during the baseball season where uh, I would say we work the most hours. Which, That's uh, bonkers. Which is funny the playoffs are go- the playoffs are going on, uh, but we're completely focused on trying to get the book out. Yeah. Well, wow. the book. It's it's that's, an industry standard, you know. That's crazy how quick you put that out. That's bonkers to me. Nuts. That's Man, that, that. It's a testament to your to your work ethic and and all everybody over there. And I know I'll right. be I'll be picking up a copy and and making sure that I brush up Heck on it. Yeah. 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 Everybody should be picking that up for right. sure. It's, hey, it's, Mark, it does sell. It does sell reasonably well. Books uh, books these days. There's a lot of trouble, but. Uh, this is one book that has stood the test of time. Jim and I both know that. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, Mark. You're a big old baseball nerd. I've got a pack of 1988 Donruss. If I open this up and I tell you the players' names inside of it, how many – if you had to guess the team that they're in the uniform of, oh, how many do you think you'll get right? How many cards in the pack? I think there's 15 in these guys. Let me see. Uh, three puzzle pieces. Those are stand usual already, so I'll let that one out of the way. But fifteen right. picture cards. So there's a chance though there's checklists in there, right? Is the over on your like seven and a half? That sounds good to me. Do you think you can do eight out of fifteen? Uh, we're gonna see. I Let's guess. do it. Uh, Let's do it. I mean, because you get all of an eight, right? <laughs> completely, completely random pack. And this is you're looking at me. I'm not cheating. I've got my hands fully out and yeah. I'm covering there's, my eyes. There's no chance you would ever cheat anyway. Never. I know you, man. Never. I got you. All right. So uh, first one. We'll start off with a nice easy one. Bob Brower, an outfielder. Oh God. Like um, he was playing uh, his third season, and he didn't. Bob Brower, B R O W E R. Correct. Uh, Cleveland. No. Texas Rangers. Hey Jim. Uh, hey Jim. You you're, just remember you 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 flipped that card around in front of the camera. I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Mark did was did. nice enough to close his eyes. I was <laughs> really. Yeah. Oh, there okay. You go. Okay. Don't All right, do that. Gotcha. Bob Brower. Gotcha. All right. I did that. Yeah. I'm trying to help him man out. I'm a little right. worried here after that one. This one, this one's a little bit easier. You're gonna yep. probably do a little bit better on this one. Dale Murphy, outfielder. Oh, um, he was still brave then, right? Yep, still a brave. Yes, yeah. he was. All right. All right. Uh, Keith Millar, second baseman. Keith, wait, Keith Millar. Yeah, Keith Millar, second base. 
1988. M I L L A R? No, Miller. Sorry. Miller. Oh, that's a, he's a Met. Keith Miller is a Met. Yeah, there you go. See, that's, this is right, easy. That's two. If we just, just load them up with Mets. Is this like 538? Do we like change the odds of getting <laughs> seven and a half, right? <laughs> right. Like, there, there's a, you can't see it. There's a little graphic on the uh, one of the other screens that's like <laughs> moving back and forth really quickly. <laughs> it's got All a little, right. yeah, it's got a little funny stuff on it too. Yeah, don't worry about the graphics. Yeah, no, you're good. It'll, yeah, it'll look funny later. All right. Uh, Ray Searage, pitcher. Oh, okay. So Ray Searage, uh, and if you look at the back of his card, was a Met at one point. He's notorious in Mets history because he went one for one and had a 1,000 winning percentage. So he's identified as the perfect Met. In 1988, I would guess he is pictured as like a White Sox. That would be correct. That is such a beautiful uniform. I love those uniforms. That is a good throwback there. Three to one. It just went, man, moving up this. Yeah, we're going to the expectations rise, though, and I tend not to perform well in the expectations. We'll get to some more common names here, right? Like, Jeff Jeff Robinson. Jeff Robinson was a pirate. In 1988, he was not a pirate. He was a giant. He was a Detroit Tiger. Oh, wow. Okay, shoot. We got a full count over here. Wait, is that the same? Wait a second. Are there two Jeff Robinsons? There must be two Jeff Robinsons because that is... That's got it. Yeah, I think I know the Robinson you're talking about. Is that Jeff? there was a Robinson '84 to '92 and a Robinson '87 to '92. So I just got duped. Is got the other one Cincinnati? Cincinnati? We're, we're so gonna the, we're, we're gonna call that one a draw because that because so the '87 to '92 Jeff Robinson. I'm sorry, the '84 to '92 Jeff Robinson was a pirate in, was in 19 in 19 in 1987. He was a pirate and a giant, and in 1988 he was a pirate. That's a W, right? I mean, yeah, he he got he got. He's not job, wrong. Right? He's not wrong. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it not to him. Was he not so wrong? I, he was better than not wrong. He was he was right. He was right twice. Could ever be. He was right <laughs> one and a half times. Right? At least. I remember him. I remember him from micro league baseball. That's right. That's I'm a win. Micro that's a league. Win. That's that. That's almost a point for the reference. Nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> Man, I was uh, I was a eleven. 13. All right. All right. But you definitely collected these like uh, outfielder Keith Hughes, H U G H E S. Keith Hughes. Oof, I don't think he had much of a career. Never heard of him. Keith Hughes was a twin? He was a Philadelphia a Philly. Philly. Okay. Yeah. Womp, womp, yeah. Womp. Right. All right. So are, are we seven cards in? You yeah. are six. Six in your up right, four then it's two. only two wrong because I get credit for the Robinson. Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah, I'm giving up. I'm giving giving you credit for the, for that okay, one. Okay, so four two four two four two you. All right. Wait. Okay, this is a good last name. Tommy Hinzo, H I N Z O. He is a second baseman at nineteen. I'm going to take another shot with the Indians. There you go, Cleveland wow. Indians, man. Look at that, that. gold. Look at that beautiful. Look, that uniform. is a that is a number one too. That's I think a what we're establishing right here not, is that I didn't do very movie. much as a child. <laughs> yeah, hey, you did about the same thing I did. Hey, Mark, Mark, you were doing more than me in 1988. I was still I was still shitting my pants. <laughs> I, was, I was two years old. <laughs> yeah, I would say that you were doing that probably about game three of the NLCS too. Oh I yeah, say I was playing thousands <laughs> of games of micro league baseball at that age. Mm-hmm. Like thousands at two? At, no, at thirteen. No. Oh, at 13. thirteen. Okay, I was gonna yeah. say, Jesus, dude. How about uh, Dave Valley? Dave, so Dave Valley was a Mariner. Yes, he was. They love him up here, man. Up in the Pacific Northwest, that guy. Yep. I mean, MLB he, Network. 
he could he could be whatever he wants. He could sell cards up here if they'd let him, right? So, so we're am I one away from You're one away. You're one away yeah. from glory this, here. You totally underestimated yourself. This was your own up and All your right. over well, under. Hang on, my, like, my over my over under was like eleven. Right. <laughs> yeah, my over under was like ten and a half, right? But whatever. Uh, uh Carlton Fisk is inside this pack. So Carlton Fisk in eighty seven was uh, he was still a White Sox, was he not? Yep, still a White okay, Sox. So that clears it. Yeah, that right. clears so the only it. Thing from here is gravy. Yeah, yep. he, he's in bonus time now. You've done what? It just only gets it only gets easier. It's eleven to Shit. nothing in the bottom of the second right now for Mark. <laughs> Nineteen eighty eight, Jack Morris. Jack Picture. Morris was a tw- uh, oh wait, wait no he was not a twin yet he was a tiger still. Jack Morris was still hanging out in his Detroit uniform. He was a jackass, is what he was. And he a Hall still of is. Boot. Yeah, still is. All right. Uh, Herbeck pulled oh. Gann off the bag. We might, we might be able Definitely. to get a trick one on this next one. All right. Jeff Robinson? No. Jeff Robinson. <laughs> no more Jeff Robinsons in this deck. All right. Hey, uh, Mike Brumley. Short stuff. Uh, Mike Brumley was a Mariner at one point, wasn't he? Sounds right, but not at this point. No. What no. was he at that point? At this point, it looked like he was going into his second season as a Chicago Cub. Ooh, Mike, Mike Brumley. Brumley. Mike, Mike Brumley, Brumley was never a Mariner. He was a Cub type. Oh, no, he was. 1990. So I was a couple of years off. Yeah, you know, she's good grief, man. If Yeah, if we had to... If we had to give him like half credit for guessing a team that the guy ended up playing for, I think the Henzo right. one will go down as my best one. <laughs> the Henzo, so yeah, far. yeah, Henzo so far is the home run. That is a money. That's money. All right. Well, we got a Diamond King in this one being a Donra set. Dwight Evans. Uh, Dwight Evans at that point in his career was a. So in '86 he was a Red Sox. In '87, so this is the this is the '88 set with '87 playing. Yeah, because it's then be he a, was then he was a Red Sox. Yep. Yeah. Red Sox. Okay. Yep. yep. Look yep. at that dude there. Man, I wish I could grow a mustache at all. Right. That's why I'd, if I could grow that mustache. That's a lot of mustaches on these cards. 1988 must have been awesome for the older people. <laughs> <laughs> How about? All right, we got three three left. Okay. Larry Sheets, designated outfielder. Larry Sheets was an was an Oriole. And he definitely was a Baltimore Oriole. Yep. So what's that get us up to? Ten to three? Larry yep. Sheets had one really good year where I think that he was like your kind of if you had like a stratomatic card, he would have been like extremely valuable because well, he played 135 games in eighty seven, three sixteen with thirty one home runs. Jesus. Damn. Yeah, he, he was he was a big he was six three two fifteen. He was a big guy, left handed hitter. Didn't strike out a lot. Uh, only struck out sixty seven times in four hundred sixty nine at bats. Plays great on Stratomatic. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really take in too much for regression or anything like that, does it? He was a negative in, in the uh, fielding runs that they used at the time. He's a negative ten that year. Oof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two point five WAR. That's the reason why a DH. Yep. All right. All right. Two to go. Two to go. Then I'll, then I'll let you go. You can even have one more shameless plug after this. If you get through 15 cards with me. This is uh, Tom Hankey, 1988. Tom Hankey in 1988 was a Blue Jay, wasn't he? He was still with the Toronto Blue Jays. Gosh, man. He was really good. He seemed like he was in every pack I opened when I was a kid, though. He was a really – I think he is somewhat underestimated for – 
the goodness of his uh, career. He he could have kept going too. He had 36 saves in his last year with a 182 ERA. Did he? Uh, was he with the 92 93 team? So that, that uh, he was with the 92 Blue Jays. He was okay. not with the 93 team. He gave up the. He is the he giving up the tying hit to I think it was Otis Nixon is the reason why Mike Timlin was the pitcher who got mm. the last out of the World Series and not him because Hanky couldn't. No, Nixon made the last out. It, it, right, it, but he also got a he also got a tying hit. Oh, he did. Okay, against Hanky, I believe. I, I will stand by. We will make sure. <laughs> All right, no, do didn't. do the last one, and no, I'll validate that. All right. Well, you search quick. You're gonna need to. You're gonna need to move fast. Uh, the next guy is named Kevin McReynolds. Kevin McReynolds in 1987 was a Met. There he is. Mark with is his Mets Look at that. Yeah, I could just Kevin tell McReynolds. when Mark knew it right away. It was just like, yep, Met. Dude, Kevin crazy. McReynolds was a very good Met and a very uh blah person uh with like no personality <laughs> didn't uh didn't really want to it seemed like he didn't really want to play baseball he just happened to be good at it uh and once he was done that was it for him uh but he was he was a he would be much more fondly remembered by met fans if he had been uh if he had had more of a kind of a spirit for the game otis nixon got the tying hit in the ninth inning with two outs and an 0-2 count in Game six of the World Series, on which the Blue Jays later clinched, uh, in which Otis Nixon was the last out of that series. Well, you know, it's... Uh, we, what we, else we, can I plug? Fieldingbible.com. <laughs> Fieldingbible.com. And the Sports Definitely. Info Solutions Baseball Podcast, which is going to take a brief break, but uh, we've got some good interviews on there. You can check them out. Uh, and uh, I don't know that we uh, we get as nerdy uh, with uh, baseball cards as you, <laughs> but uh, we certainly get nerdy with the information, and we try and have a good time with uh, the guests that we have on uh, talking about various baseball uh, analytic uh, topics. I love it. Well, yeah, Mar- it's been a much deserved break for you guys. It's been a weird season and a and a and a a lot a lot happening, right? So take a break, relax a little bit, and then. Uh, then get ready for winter meetings from right. your home, like everybody else. Get right back <laughs> yep. to it. Well, Mark, Mark, your your time is always appreciated, and your insight yeah. is always valuable. Thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, this was fun. This was great. I, I enjoyed the, the the little quiz at the end there. It's a blast. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I mean, I love the the passion that you bring uh, to to the game. Uh, just chatting with you makes me jack for anything baseball related. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Yes, let's let's count down the days to opening day. Woo. Seven and a half more months, we'll have you back on again. Thanks. <laughs> you got it. <laughs>